Hey listeners, you've heard on the podcast from casting directors and Broadway directors just how vital a well-curated social media presence can be for your career. The Breakdown is proud to be partnering with TSMA Consulting, a globally recognized social media firm that can help you authentically grow your following without using bots, fake followers, or anything like that. I particularly love the welcome packet and the videos they include that help you optimize your account. And wow, did I learn a lot. The TSMA is offering an exclusive discount for our listeners. Use offer code BREAKDOWN20 for $20 off any of their growth packages at tsmagrowth.com. All right, listeners, on to the show. I'm Robbie, and this is The Breakdown. This week, I'm bringing you my conversation with Broadway director Stephen Brackett. Stephen directed the Broadway productions of The Lightning Thief and Be More Chill. Off-Broadway, Stephen directed A Strange Loop at Playwrights Horizons, for which he won the Drama Desk and Obie Awards. Additional off-Broadway credits include Be More Chill, The Lightning Thief, Buyer and Seller, Kerrigan and Loudermilk's The Mad Ones, Ultimate Beauty Bible, Ringer, Carnival Kids, The Correspondent, After the Material World, Be a Good Little Widow, and The Tenant. National touring credits include The Lightning Thief and Buyer and Seller. Regional credits include work for Barrington Stage, The Geffen Play, House, Humana Festival, About Face, Theater Work Silicon Valley, among many others. London directing credits include Be More Chill at the Other Palace and Buyer and Seller at the Menier Chocolate Factory. Listeners, I'm so honored to have Steven on the podcast. Not only am I a fan of his directing work, but I'm also a fan of the projects that he chooses and his outlook on the industry. We talk about the inception, development, and lasting impact of A Strange Loop, the 2019 Playwrights Horizons musical, which earned Steven the 2020 Drama Desk Award. I love that we talk about how Steven got attached to the piece. It's a super helpful story, yes, for early career directors, but also how you never know where a new, authentic connection or relationship is going to take you. And in this case, it was winning a Drama Desk Award during a pandemic. We also get to talk about Be More Chill and that whole process from the regional premiere at Two River Theater to the off-Broadway run and then the Broadway run. And it was also just announced that it's going to the West End in London. It's so fascinating to hear how that musical came to Broadway. It had such a unique path that I think we're gonna see a little bit more going forward. And it only happened because of an army of supporters and fans and people that worked on the show that got it there. We talk about what Steven learned as a result of the process and how he uses that experience as he moves forward. I also love when Steven talks about the audition room. He explains that in auditions, he's looking for actors to be collaborators in the process. I love that. And how he finds the right actor for the right project. He goes on to talk about how not every actor is right for each world of the play. I think that's a super helpful way to talk about being right and wrong for a project. But also how he finds actors that he really wants to work with and brings them to different projects he works on in the future. As always, if you like what you hear, please write us a quick review on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend. The Breakdown community is growing and it is all because of you all. There's some exciting stuff to come, so make sure you are subscribed and follow the Instagram account at The Breakdown with Robbie. And stick around after the episode to hear a new single from a dear friend and stellar recording artist, Melissa Rose Hirsch. I promise it's going to be your new summer jam. All right, listeners, without further ado, here is my conversation with the kind, intelligent, and extremely talented Stephen Brackett. Stephen, I am so, so happy to be seeing you again, but having some coffee on this slightly chilly spring day that we are having, (laughs) but... 
thank you so much for for joining me on the on the podcast. I'm so happy to be chatting with you. Totally my pleasure. Happy to be chatting with you too. You, you know, in thinking about people that I want to have on the podcast and I'm excited to hear from you are you're such a a perfect person in my mind to hear from in the directing world because you do so much. You do so many different things. I mean, you do huge Broadway musicals, you do all, riveting, very exciting one man off Broadway plays that also become, you know, <laughs> go on tours themselves, but you kind of do it all. And you are the reigning Drama Desk Award winner for Best Director. It's true. That is I. Yep. As there was no Tony Awards last year, you are the award-winning director of 2020 <laughs> for theater, which I feel like will go down in the history books of like, who won an award for theater for directing in 2020? And um, I'm so happy to have that person on the podcast. <laughs> That's ridiculous. I'm happy to be here. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to start by talking about A Strange Loop. It was so... It, incredible. I saw it right at the end of the run. Larry Owens is a friend and um, just thought it was so new and um, smart. And it was kind of that show that people were going out with friends and saying, oh, have you seen this and talking about it? You know, it was mm -hmm. the thing that people were wanted to talk about and had to talk about in the best way. And I, I don't know, this is just kind of a general question, but why do you, why do you think that play hit in our in our zeitgeist and why do you think it was, you know, um, wonderfully recognized by the drama desks and it was such an important piece. And I, and I just, I wonder a little bit how it came, how it, how you got to be involved and then why you think it's had this effect and people are still talking about it, a, you know, over, well over a year later. Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, I'll start with how I got involved and then we'll kind of work our way up to its uh, impact as sort of I see it. A great mentor of mine, an amazing director named Emma Griffin, was working with Michael Jackson while he was at NYU on his grad thesis. And she invited me to come see the show and she was like, I think you might love Michael Jackson, so you should check out his work. And I'm forever grateful that she made that introduction. Um, I went to see the show. It was unbelievably um, confident in its voice. It was aggressive in its tone. And um, I was like smitten from the beginning. Uh, and it was a piece where Michael wrote the book and the lyrics and there was a different composer so i didn't really get a sense of michael's musicality from that but i had a coffee with him afterwards and basically was like i think you're amazing i would love to work with you in any way possible right um and so to kind of like dip our toe into the water of working with each other. He asked me to direct a concert of his uh, work. Uh, and that led to like another concert. And eventually he brought me this piece, uh, Strange Loop. And we did a reading of it at NYU, just like a closed reading, just to kind of get a sense of the piece. But I was immediately drawn to the like, ferocity of um, Michael's music and language. I was drawn to how 
he didn't give any shits about like what he would put out there right like that felt so personal that like the personal grew to become universal which is a strange thing that like actually by getting really in depth with a singular point of view and a specific singular point of view it actually can transcend to become something so much bigger um and so michael and i spent seven years working on that piece together wow. in development with many of the actors who made it to that um, production and i think there was a really kind of intense intimacy that we began even our first day of rehearsals at Playwrights because we had been working on the piece for so long um, that the actors knew each other, they trusted each other, that we could just start day one of those rehearsals with such a um, profound leg up, right? Because we all had been working on this piece for years and years and years and years. I think audiences crave something that feels new, right? Audiences like, like to be shaken out of what they understand theater to be, right? And I think especially in musical theater, Michael was just pushing at the boundaries of what a musical can be, right? Um, uh, so I think audiences were connected to A, a voice that they hadn't seen reflected in musical theater. B, I think that they were excited about the event of it and then I think the performers were able to kind of grab onto something that felt like not only a reflection of Michael but a reflection of the company that was on stage right that it felt really authentic to the people that were on the stage and so I think it was just kind of that combination that that helped it spark to feel like people were actually seeing something new, seeing something that was pushing at what musical theater can do, right? And it's not that like, it's this boundary shifting thing, right? It just was taking the form and being incredibly honest and brave with it and writing something so transparent, yet so epic um, that an audience left feeling like they hadn't seen something like it before and that it hit and that it registered, right? Like everybody has issues with self-esteem. Every Lots of people have issues with mothers, you know, many, many people reacted to um, the racial dynamics that were on stage. And so it, it just felt like it had enough kind of levels that it was working on that it was able to hit most of the people that came into that theater. Yeah, I think you are so right when you talk about like a specific honest point of view, you know, and you don't have to do, and we see this theater in New York frequently that's just being avant-garde or boundary shaking for boundary shaking sake. You know, they're just trying to create an event when really just that simple, honest story, even the more specific the story sometimes, the more universal it is, which... Sure. um is is also you know makes me think makes me think of a strange loop yeah y yeah i mean really special and, and you're so right it became an event hearing you talk about this is so making me miss theater i mean more than maybe usual just because it's it's talking about you know what what people were saying and how it was affecting people and mm -hmm. and all of that so yeah yeah i think you also like 
pointed out something that like at the heart of this piece it wasn't like an avant-garde piece of theater it's it's about a protagonist that has an emotional through line that you know that the audience feels very connected to i mean like the protagonist it's a protagonist show right so much so that everybody else on stage is just a reflection of that guy right and so i think the like humanity of the piece was also something that that um kind of sung out yeah for sure you know this is something maybe a question i usually ask later but it just occurs to me because of how it came into your world you know that you just went to the, you know how you just met michael and then uh, the piece developed out of a relationship that you had and in a working relationship that sounds like in, in essence to me a little bit of advice maybe for aspiring directors too this is how these great pieces and how these working relationships can happen when you find someone maybe before the piece is even created or you know and i wonder maybe if you could just speak a little bit to that if that's is this a unique story to your work in this business and career or or is that something that you that you actively try to do or did do when you were younger of trying to seek out these voices and and work with them yeah you know i think our uh, our industry is an industry of relationships right you know mm -hmm. and um that is the secret to working right is relationships when i kind of came out of of school theater school really didn't work on new work at all um and my like heart and brain exploded when i kind of started working in the new york theater world and was like oh shit it's all about new work right like and everything that i'm excited about is about new work and so new work especially is about relationships and so it can be really hard as a young aspiring director to figure out who those people are right that you're supposed to be starting conversations with but i mean listen when michael and i started working we had a really hard time getting anybody interested in this piece outside of the people that were inside kind of working on it it felt too aggressive it felt too out there for theaters to kind of comprehend but like we knew that there was something really beautiful at the heart of it right and so yeah i think i think it is really about just keeping your eyes open and listening to people listening to artists figuring out what they're wanting to put out the, in the world and finding the artists that you intersect with right and Michael is just a great example of an artist that I felt immediately connected to and immediately like the things that I wanted to put on stage intersected with the things that he wanted to put on stage. Um, and my best projects have come out of relationships where you have that real kind of uh, creative spark right where you feel in line with what 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 you're trying to do um and that leads to a really kind of brave and confident collaboration where you can feel like you can say anything to the other collaborator even if you're unsure of what you're trying to articulate to them right and so i, I think we were blessed with that in terms of michael feeling like he could share any idea with me and vice versa i love that i love that i think i think you I think you said it perfectly. And it's great hearing it from someone like you who 
I think for some of us, it can feel like such a mountain to overcome or, you know, but hearing you talk about how you worked on it for seven years and sometimes these things take time, but they do pay off, you know, in different ways. And also you never know, I think of it like a garden, like if you're, you know, watering different projects or you're meeting different people, you never know what's going to, what's going to kind of happen or, or come into fruition, especially in a business where we have, even as a director, you don't have control over what projects actually take off and, you know, get produced so yeah yeah um, it's just a good lesson to hear from you know someone like yourself so totally you you never know what like you said you never know where a relationship is going to go right and so i think the best advice is to just try to meet everybody with a general sense of positivity and curiosity right um uh because you never know where like oh i had tea with that person four years ago and now they're working at this theater and they thought of me for a gig or they've written a play or what, you know, like, I think, I think that that's important is to, and I think, you know, especially now we're seeing a demand for a shift in kind of like old school theater ways. Right. And I think it is because there's a new generation of people that are interested in creativity with more of a generative, generous sense of process. Right. And so we're seeing sort of demands for there to be kind of a reckoning to say great work can come out of really positive rooms and really, um, creatively encouraging rooms, right? And so I just try to, I try to meet artists with that spirit, right? And listen, sometimes it doesn't work, right? And you're like, oh, we're actually really different artists, right? And it makes so much more sense for you to be working with that kind of an artist. Awesome, right? Um, But I think as much as people can kind of go out there with that kind of positive curiosity, they're, they're, they're best served by it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. I love, and my new new thing about curiosity is like curiosity shows intelligence, right? Because if you're curious, it means you want to know more about Mm -hmm. the world or, you know, so that, that totally rings true for me. Um, The next thing that I want to chat about is also something about a um, new work with a protagonist with an honest, clear point of view and a show that I am a huge fan of. And that was Buyer and Seller. And Mm. Just what a special, what a special thing. And I think about some of the things you were just saying about a strange loop in my mind, it maybe could also apply to that process and that show. I mean, yeah. also it, in my mind, it's like so special. And this has become a little bit of a, you know, I'm also thinking of Lightning Thief right now, but like almost a a thing that I admire in your work, which is, and maybe I'm like, you know, maybe this is totally wrong, but it's like, what do we need to tell the story? Do you know, mm-hmm. on stage, like mm-hmm. what, what needs to be there and what does not need to be there? Yeah. And certainly buyer and seller was one of those shows where there was not a lot on that stage mm-hmm. to, to mm-hmm. tell this beautiful and in my mind, epic story. Yeah. Um, but my first question, which is probably the most important question is, and I know everyone's dying to know, does Barbara know about buyer and seller <laughs> and can you talk to us just about anything that you can say about that subject first i mean she certainly knows about it right she certainly knows about it uh she was invited by different people at many times to come and see it um she never uh came which i think is for the best my only hope is that she understands the 
the like humble respect that the show has for her because i think you know it might be easy for people just to be like oh it's you know goes into every aspect of her life but i think it really does hold her up to this like huge beautiful godlike essence right um and so i i i just hope that she knows and understands the the reverence in which that show is made you know, you totally, you're totally right because why, in my mind, why the show worked and why people love it so much is because it's not making fun of her. It's not mm. being, it's not mean spirited. It's not a drag care. I love drag queens, but it's not mm. a drag, you know, um, mocking of, of what she is. I mean, mm. most of your audience came originally before the word of mouth got out because they love her, you know? Yeah. And so why yeah. would you be you know, making fun of her. And I think you absolutely handled that line with such care and finesse in, in the writing, but also, you know, Michael's performance, you're directing all of it, you know, it walked that beautiful line of absolute respect, but again, like honesty or, you know, um, not that we know honestly what she's thinking or what she says, sure. but, but sure. the character was honest, you know? And yeah. so that, and it came with a curious sensibility. Yeah. It was about it was about two vulnerable characters sort of falling for each other, right? Like it was kind of a romance between Bar and our imagination of who Barbara Streisand is and um, that out of work actor who found a job in her basement, you know. Like, and what I loved about the piece is that like people came to it for the same reason that I was like, I want to direct this piece, right? Because because of the pitch. Uh, an actor gets a job in Barbara Streisand's basement mall, right? Like, it's awesome. We want to see that play. But I think what people were really um, shocked by and what I loved about the piece is the kind of vulnerability of it and the way that it kind of excavates a human sense of loneliness and isolation and aspiration, figuring out what we want to do with our lives and, and a, a character kind of struggling with that, meeting somebody who seemingly has achieved everything she's ever wanted in her life, but then kind of getting a sense of what we imagine her vulnerability is like and what she spends her days thinking about. Like, it's the more delicate parts of that piece that um, I fell so head over heels in love with and found so special about it that a piece that had that kind of high comic value could also sort of like twinkle in that kind of lonely, vulnerable way. I just, I, I loved that about that piece. Um, I, I just had a conversation with Michael Arden for the podcast and he toured with Barbara for a summer in Europe when he was 24 with oh like Hugh Pinero and it and tells, you know, I, I like had to ask him about it. And then I, you know, I said like buyer and seller, you know, I dropped and he was like, oh yeah, you know, like, and then he tells a joke, which I'm not going to tell right now because I won't tell it right. Like, and okay. it landed perfectly the way he tells it on the podcast. So I'll send it to you and you can listen to it. But he was like, she just was like, oh, we were all out for pizza one night. And she's aware of how unaware she is. Yeah. You know, he was like, she is um, very, she's in on the joke, you know? Mm -hmm. And then she makes this joke about Starbucks and there are Starbucks, like, she's just like, she's just like everyone else. She drinks Starbucks. She goes to Starbucks and she's like, yeah, and it's in my living room. You know, it's like something <laughs> like, I'm just like everyone else. But he was like, that could have gone straight into buyer and seller. And yeah, I just was yeah, like, yeah. 
I love that that's a real story that totally was encapsulating and like on brand and theme with what you guys were all doing. Totally. So totally. that was a really totally. funny kind of thing. I love that. I, I want to stay on Byron Seller for a second yeah, because it was, it was, it was this one man, you know, show at, it was, it was the Barrow Street that originally produced it? or so Rattle, Rattle, Rattlestick Rattle. first and then yeah. the Barrow Street. And then, you know, at what point were you like, wow, this is like, clearly, I don't know. I imagine when you were directing it, you were like, this is great, you know, or, or I'm responding to it. But at what point did it become this thing that ended up having a national tour and hit every mm -hmm. regional theater? Mm -hmm. And just like, and what was it? I don't know. What did you learn from that process of it kind mm -hmm. of, if anything, of it becoming this bigger phenomenon that was then one of the first things that was streamed, you know, a year ago when Michael mm -hmm. did it um, in right. his living room, you know, right. and then everyone right. sat around and watched it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like what, what happened or what, you know, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, listen, John Tolins, the author, wrote something really amazing, right? And it was like very clear that Michael and I responded to it. Um, but rehearsing a one-man show is a really vulnerable and sort of um, crazy-making experience, right? <laughs> because it's it's relatively few people in that room. The intimacy between the director and the actor is really amplified because there's nobody else in that room to kind of take any focus off of that one relationship, right? Mm -hmm. And we certainly were delighted making it, but we also were scared right we also were like we think that this is really great but like <laughs> what are other people gonna think about it right so i remember going into our first audiences was really nerve-wracking was really scary but the first night that we had our first preview from the beginning the like rhythms of how the audience was intersecting with the piece became very clear in a way that was such a relief, <laughs> such a relief. So from the beginning, I think we had a sense of, okay, this thing that we thought we were making and were excited to make is actually translating, right? Uh, because I've also been in rooms where that sadly hasn't been the case, you know, that we've been excited about making something and then it hasn't translated into that excitement. So when you get that feeling, it's exciting, right? Um, I don't think we knew that it was going to be like a commercial transfer or any of that. Um, but like that show was selling out people were um you know trying to get tickets and it was clear that there was an audience for this right um and uh, to be totally transparent this is my the first thing that i directed that had any of that kind of reaction or traction right like people enjoyed things that i directed but this this felt new this felt different right and so this was my first foray into really commercial theater. So I've learned so much from Byron Seller just about what it's like to take something that started as like a specific little thing in a very tiny theater and then try to start 
to expand it for a little bit larger of an audience. And then when we got to the tour, really radically expanded to these much, much bigger places. Um, so it, it was a real learning experience for me in terms of just what it takes to transition a piece, right? And what it takes to rebuild a piece from one theater to another. Um, but I like far and away, I really credit that experience and credit Michael Yuri with really understanding what it means to talk to an actor and what it means to give notes to an actor and what it means to collaborate with an actor. Poor Michael Yuri had to deal with me fucking up a couple of times, right? And I remember there was one day where he was like, I actually need for you not to tell me when you like I'm doing something because then I get in my head that Steven likes it. And he's like, that's the thing that I think about. And so like, I actually learned so much from him about like, what's a good note and what's a fucking terrible note, you know? And um, uh, we spent years together working on that piece, right? Um, in a different way than, than, strange loop right like it was the complete opposite of strange loop because it was a last minute replacement for a show and so we did one reading of that for a group of i think four people and then we were in our first rehearsal so i had very little experience with um, working on that piece before we started rehearsals but really i i think back on that and really think about the pleasure that it was working with Michael and working with such an extraordinary actor with such an impossible task on his shoulders and um, learned things about talking to actors that I, uh, that I carry with me today. So I'm very thankful for that collaboration. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love, I love that. I love all, everything you said about what you're learning and, and everything, because that's certainly a theme of the podcast is like that education, you know, wherever you are in your career, if you're directing totally. this, you know, commercial off Broadway smash, you know, you're still learning in the process. And, and I don't think totally. that's true. I don't, I think there are some people that aren't as open to it as maybe mm -hmm. other people are. And I think for me, it's like, that's why I'm, I'm doing this, you know, yeah. to keep is to keep learning and it keeps, cause it's exciting. It's exciting yeah. for me. So I don't know, hearing that from you doing that is is affirming in, in all of those ways. Totally. I mean, I hope that, I think we're in a profession where we'll learn to our dying day, you know, like that, like one of the reasons why we do this is that it's not the same thing over and over and over again, you know? Mm -hmm. it's, if, if I was directing the same thing constantly, I would just, shrivel up and die you know <laughs> like that's the exciting thing about it and and making sure that you're open to that is also really thrilling well you're do well i love that for you know your your thought and your mission and i completely agree just in in my world but on as someone who's looking at your work when i was learning who you were and learning your name i was like wait the same guy directed um, be more chill and buyer and seller and you know all these different things so i'm here to tell you that you're doing it you're not doing the same thing <laughs> your work is different and beautiful and specific and right. um and wildly wildly different which i have to imagine is is thrilling fun. So. yeah it's fun so I do um, want to jump to the audition room. I mean, I could talk mm -hmm. more about all my questions about buyer and seller, but I, I want to hear about 
what the audition experience is like for you. There's a lot of not just early career actors, but early career and and mid career and you know of directors and casting directors and you know that that kind of symbiotic relationship that happens in the room when there's a producer there, there's a director there, there's a casting director, and there's actors walking in. Mm. What are you there to? do you know what so you are you know obviously you're you're casting a show but what what are you looking for i mean especially like if you're going in for first auditions or something like you're looking for people who are right for the show but mm-hmm. maybe you're also looking for good people to mm-hmm. work with you know kind of mm-hmm. all of those things but in your mind in your mind like what is the task of going into the audition room and meeting actors and all but also working with a producer and you know um, yeah. Yeah. What, what is that experience for you? In auditions, you are looking for people that fit the world of the play, right? And mm-hmm. every play has a different world to it, right? And so there are actors that I love and adore that I'm always like, oh, I wish that there was a part for them in this 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 show, but they're not really in that world right and so like that's that's one thing that i think is like important to know in the same way that like people probably discuss my name for projects and they're like no his sensibilities aren't right for this right and they move on to somebody that they think their sensibilities are more right for that project not every actor is exactly right for every show you know what i'm saying and it's an amazing thing to see an actor that you love and admire and who comes into that room and has done their work and done a really good, beautiful audition. But you're like, that person who I love is just not right for this. It's just not right for the world of this, right? And listen, I the thing that I want to say first and foremost is that I have so much respect for actors in an audition process because it's grueling. It's hard. Like putting yourself out there, like putting your emotional self out there, your intellectual self, your physical self, like being seen in that way is not fun (laughs) always, right? And it's not easy. And so I try to just like, bring the temperature of the room down a little bit and just try to kind of make sure that I'm meeting everybody who comes into that room, right? And there are times where I'm more successful at that and times where I'm less successful at that. But that is is sort of the goal because not only are you looking for a person that fits the world and fits the role that you're looking for, but you're looking for somebody that you want to collaborate with. You're looking for somebody that you're like, is this somebody that I think is going to bring the best out of me and my writers? And and is this somebody that I feel like I have the language to bring the best out of them, right? I think of a rehearsal room and really production in general, uh, the job of a director is to figure out how to speak to people and get their best work for a singular purpose and vision, you know, right? Like if I'm working with an actor, I want to find out what, like, what is the best of you? What drives you? What makes you like click and try to tap into that 
and align that to the role in the project, right? And so I look for that thing that is sort of hard to talk about, which is just like, is there a spark? Do I feel the kind of connection to you that I'm like, I think that this can sustain an entire process, you know, like, which is a long process, right? And we've all been in that process before, whether you're a director or an actor, where it wasn't right, you know, where the ingredients are not right. And, and, you know, one bad apple can, you know, poison the bunch. Correct. And it's not not necessarily just even about bad, trying to find bad apples, you know, like, because you're right, like a a bad apple sucks. It just sucks to work with a bad apple. But it's, (laughs) it's, it's also about like, just making sure as many of the things align that like, I believe you to be that person in that role, right? I believe that you can meet the demands of the language of the show, right? And you make sense with the other actors that we're assembling, right? Like uh, that, that is the other heartbreaking thing that like, at the end of a normal process, you know, we're looking at multiple actors for these roles, right? And that that is something that, like, I don't know, would that be helpful for there to be more transparency in the, the casting world that, like, it was, like, you and two other people, but the way that the puzzle worked out, it it just didn't work in your favor? I don't know. Like, would that be helpful for an actor to be? to hear or would that actually be more tough to kind of um compartmentalize right this this like this like oh i almost was there but then it was just about fate right um i i I don't know and i I sort of struggle with that you know um but the thing that i feel like i have the ability to control is um the experience in the room right and so i put um a lot of effort towards that. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because I've been also having conversations with television casting directors and television directors and that's, you know, it's such a different process. It's a yeah. different schedule, they're looking for a different thing. But in theater, you know, like if you usually get down to the last 3 or something, you will usually find out from your agent yeah. like, yeah. oh, you know, you were and you'll kind of know, like actors like kind of can suss it out cuz we're a little yeah. crazy, but like <laughs> you know, you can tell that you're in that world. And for me, it is helpful to know like, oh, I didn't get it, but I I know there's nothing I could have done. It's just, you know, it just kind of went one way. For Mm -hmm. film and television, like, you know, you could be between two people, but you sent in a tape, there's no callbacks. Like you never know. Right. So your barometer for me is like, I have no idea if I'm in the right place, but like, if I'm, you know, continually getting called back for something or, you know, getting callbacks, I know that my barometer is pretty much you know, at least I'm going in the right direction and I know just doing what you're doing and, you know, it's, it's the right thing. You know, I think the other thing that's really helpful to know is that, you know, I am constantly pulling people who auditioned for something that they weren't right for and being like, oh, but they are right for that project. Let's pull them into this audition for that. You know, like, so people are thinking beyond even just what's happening for that specific project in the room. It's the way that casting directors have to think all the time, right? But like, I can't tell you how many times that I've I've pulled from um, somebody that I've seen for another project thinking like, oh, I wonder what they could do with this, with this other material, right? And so like, I think in some ways, knowing 
that it can at times be even just bigger than what's happening in that room for that one project is is helpful. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm curious what kinds of things help you know, like auditioning is such an imperfect process. It's like you said, you're looking for collaborators and you're finding collaborators that walk into a room one after another, you know, and it's not, you don't spend as much time with them. What kinds of things help you know that someone would be a good collaborator? I don't know, like things like, you know, maybe you give an adjustment or mm -hmm. and see what happens or, you know, do you look at resumes and do you ever text or call a friend who they've worked with or like what kinds of things maybe do you use in your process to, to be able to narrow your barometer of like, oh, I think that this is going to be the right, the right fit. Yeah. Um, uh, I try to get a sense of who people are outside of the role that they're auditioning for, right? Like, so I try to get a little sense of just who they are, where they are that day, what's happening in their life. You know, like I try to get a, just a taste of who they are. And um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's about a multiplicity of things. And it's all the things that you sort of mentioned, right? Like uh, working with an actor on an adjustment and talking about the adjustment and um, not only seeing like, did they nail that adjustment but seeing how they're approaching the adjustment is helpful right you know like you're like shorthanding an entire process in a rehearsal room right and so like you're getting a sense of like if i speak to an actor in a certain way what is what's going to happen right and if i give an adjustment what's going to happen right and um uh, there have been times where like people don't nail the adjustment but i see where they took the adjustment and that's enough that's all that i need to see you know like i need to see that there could be a process like we could continue in on that adjustment and i could say okay i saw that but let's try da -da 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 -da, right like just making sure that like you're speaking the same language and, you know, certainly there are times where I will, you know, call a director and, and say, you know, I see that you've worked with so-and-so and how was your experience working with that person? Um, uh, I don't do that often, but if I, if I like somebody, but I have a like sort of lingering question, I'll see if I can kind of get some information on that question. Then there's also the thing of like, we work in the theater and we see a ton of theater, right? And so if I've seen somebody's work and it's really sort of like bowled me over, right? Like that that will carry some energy in that casting process as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, usually like at the, at the end, well, first of all, what you just said totally makes sense. I also think it's, it's... Yeah, sometimes it's something you can't even describe about, and you know, when you're watching someone's performance, it's mm -hmm. an aesthetic thing too, right? Mm -hmm. It's, yep. um, but so usually the last question that I usually talk uh, ask on the podcast is a little bit, you know, what do you wish you knew about the business when you were just starting out? When I think about you, the, we we didn't get to talk about be more chill, and I do want to talk about it because. In my mind, in the theater world, and when we look at the theater, contemporary theater, contemporary commercial musical theater, there is before Be More Chill and there's after Be More Chill. And I mean that because it ignited such a, I think, response about social media and the younger generation and how important that is and how yeah. they can really play a factor in producibility and getting the word out and 
just advertising and, and media and marketing for Broadway shows in general, you know, about sometimes, you know, turning to social media. I think people just took it much serious, more serious. I think, you know, I think the quote unquote story as an outside observer is that it's really that that reaction from the younger community that brought that was the catalyst for bringing the show to Broadway. But for you, you know, I imagine Be More Chill coming to Broadway in its first production, um, you know, I'm thinking out at Red Bank, right? That's mm-hmm. where it was originally. And then it came off Broadway and then moved to Broadway. It didn't run as long as I think a lot of people wished it did, but mm-hmm. it certainly ignited this passion and excitement and everything that I'm talking about in a younger generation. And, you know, then now we have TikTok musicals. And I think that it spawned from some, something that was happening in the world with, with Be More Chill and social media and the younger generation. So my question for you is, what about the Be More Chill process? I mean, huge blockbuster Broadway musical, so incredible. Michael in the Bathroom is on my running list always, on my Mm -hmm. Spotify list. What did you learn from that whole experience or process? Or, you know, what, what what do you come away with after, you know, now being able to step back after a couple of years of, of that, you know, and it's certainly not over, but, but certainly the being able to look at it now through, through a different lens where we are now. I mean, what, yeah. What, what did you learn? If anything? Yeah. I mean, I learned a ton working on that show. I think first is there's a lesson about persistence with that show. Um, uh, listen, Joe Iconis, Joe Trace and I and Chase Brock and everybody who worked on that show loved that show from the get-go right and we had some dreams of it coming to new york in any sort of way right and it felt early on like we were like oh i guess that's not going to happen right and that was um uh sort of devastating and heartbreaking and then this unbelievable sorry you uh, mean after like the red bank production after two river we, like it, after Two River, I mean, after Two River, we thought there might be a world where somebody might take us into New York, right? Mm-hmm. And it just became clear that that wasn't going to happen. So we kind of had like a little mourning period where where we were like commiserating and toasting the show. Um, but we loved it and we thought it was great. And then this amazing thing happened where people, kids, got their hands on the cast recording and obsessively started watching whatever they could find on YouTube. And this was like sort of like during the heyday of Tumblr, right? And so like they were sharing information on Tumblr and it became this thing where we were like, there is an audience for this musical out there. There is an audience. It might not be playing by the same rules as the rules of traditional American musical theater, but there's an audience out here. And finally, we were able to translate that to a producer who said, yes, I see this. I believe in you. And I have to I have to shout out Joe Iconis here too, because he was tireless in the way that he kept that musical on um, people's brains, right? And really championed it and really pushed 
to try to get somebody to say, we see that those YouTube numbers and that information that we're getting from Tumblr, but that can translate into ticket sales. Mm-hmm. And when we produced it off-Broadway, that became proven, right? That off-Broadway production sold out in a heartbeat, right? I- tried to get a ticket like very early on and even knew a couple of the producers and couldn't get a ticket, you know? So yeah, yeah. It was incredible. Totally. So I think what I learned the most about that is that things can work outside of the way things are um, believed to be, um, like how you believe a musical can be produced, right? I think Be More Chill was like a tiny little bomb that just exploded and was like, fuck the way that everything has been done before. Let's try this way, right? And I honestly think that that musical was met with some resistance because of that, right? Because it sort of had this kind of, I'll say kind of like slightly punk kind of DIY like sense of we're gonna we're gonna find our people and do this ourselves and while the run wasn't as long as we would have liked it to i do think you're right that it had an impact right and it had an impact that will be talked about and is is being talked about um so i i like that it feels like it brought theater closer to a demographic of people who love theater and outside of the control of like sort of gatekeepers of New York theater kind of vibe, right? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And you can have your own opinion about whether we were successful or whether we were not successful, but for a show that we thought was dead in the water to get off Broadway and then on Broadway was like a radical success for that show. And I'm so proud of everybody who made that show because it was just a labor of love and persistence. Absolutely. You know, and what you did was you created, you created a business model or you created a template. Like from now on, there will be like, well, Be More Chill did it, you know, and it's certainly inspiring. And um, I think it was, I think it was incredible. And to, to be a part of that must be, must have been very special. And for the cast and for everyone to have that happen, it's, it's really amazing. Total privilege. It was awesome. And you know what? I think with the pandemic and the social injustice and everything that's happening, we are going to be doing things in new ways on the other side of this. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Be More Chill was a little ahead of its time um, mm-hmm. in the way that it was, you know, that punk DIY that you described. I think that those, I hope and think that those kinds of theater, those stories, what what they're for, the gatekeepers, I think that it's going to be, um, the world's going to be a little turned coming back into that. And there's not going to be as many rules. And I think Be More Chill certainly paved the way for more shows like that to be able to come to come into the New York theater scene and find that, find that audience. Amen. Amen. And listen, the last thing that I'll say, the last thing I'll talk about um, is Um, specific to casting. I think there's a lot of conversation right now in terms of casting about how do we shake up this process so that it is more inviting to every single body in the world, right? We are taking a hard look at the whiteness of the casting world and figuring out how to change that Mm -hmm. um, uh, so that it is more equitable and that it feels like it is much more of a representation of the world that we live in. And so like, so like, like not only is like, I think the theater industry is trying to kind of 
come to terms with what it is and how it can move forward. And But I also want to make sure that we're championing the smaller institutions of the, the theater, which the casting in, institution and figuring out how we can make it better, right? Mm -hmm. And more just. And so um, that work is being done right now. There's no clear answers right now, but I feel like it's important to just note that we're in that moment and that people are thinking about that and working towards that. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't couldn't say it better, but but absolutely agree and and get really excited when I think about the stories that are going to be told and the perspectives and the, you know, the honesty. And like, you know, like we started our conversation talking about strange loop, you know, just because someone looks different than you or, or has a different upbringing or comes from a different place, doesn't mean that you can't look at that person on that stage. And for me or for everyone have that every man experience of, yeah. you know, that protagonist experience, you know, whether you're seeing buyer and seller, you don't have to be gay or love Barbara Streisand to see the humanity and to resonate with his relationship that he was going through in that, you know, and, and that's, yeah. that's exciting, excellent theater. And I think it, it can obviously be told by different bodies and people. And, and I'm also excited for all the theater that has been written and the musicals that are hopefully being created during this time to come out on the other side. Totally. So, well, Stephen, thank you so much. This was an excellent way to begin the day and have some coffee. And I <laughs> so appreciate seeing you again and, and you chatting for the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Hey, it's Melissa Rose Hirsch, and you are about to hear my latest single, Seven Hours. I'm a believer that the more life you live, the more art you can give. Seven Hours is a true story of how one night with a stranger changed my life. I hope as the world begins to open up again, this tune inspires you to say yes, to fall madly in love, and to dance your ass off. Thanks for tuning in to The Breakdown with my dear friend, Robbie. Here is Seven Hours. Made your way across that skateboard park Converse, white shirt, and that smile that lit a spark Perfect strangers, we collided on a summer afternoon Good afternoon You say you like to get to know me, but we just don't have the time Had a flight in the morning, back to Hollywood and mine Could it be that we were meant to spend the night just to
For more information on the podcast and our guests, visit thebreakdownpodcast.com and connect with us. Let us know you're listening on Instagram and Facebook at The Breakdown with Robbie. We also have some pretty exciting supplementary content over there, like Instagram live catch-ups with some of your favorite podcast guests. If you like what you hear, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and write a quick review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. And don't forget to check out TSMA Consulting. Use offer code BREAKDOWN20 for $20 off any of their growth packages at tsmagrowth.com. All right, listeners, thanks for listening, and get ready for another episode of The Breakdown.